Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today, we're going to look at the cornerback class, the 2021 NFL draft class at the cornerback position. Going to go through day one, day two, and day three, guys. We're also joined by the Ringers. Danny Kelly does all the draft work at the Ringer. Also does a ton of fancy football stuff as well. We focus on skill players, running backs, wide receivers, the whole lot. And then at the back end of the podcast, we have interviews with former Illinois, Illinois interior offensive lineman Kendrick Green. Let's get it. have a wedding story that you've been meaning to tell on the podcast for a while please take the lead i haven't been like meaning to tell it. it's you like it's one of the it's, stories it's one of those that, better stories you got it's one you of have a lot of good ones it's a little you lived a cushy life it's a little pg-13 um but we'll, st- we'll tell it so i'm at a wedding out in raleigh north carolina for one of my high school friends i'm out there with a bunch of high school friends all staying at a hotel and this is the day prior to the wedding i'm actually one of the groomsmen in this wedding the next day we go out to the bars in raleigh as one does um, getting pretty drunk, talking to a girl. Things are going well. Living the dream. Living the dream. She says she's not really drinking that night. She has to work in the morning. Okay, that's cool. I'll still drink. <laughs> it's going really well. At some point, we decide to go to Waffle House after the bar. Fire. As one does. Again, we're What'd in the South. Uh, double peanut butter waffle. Those are always. so fucking fire. The double peanut butter waffles at Waffle House are so fire. So I'm there with her, two of her friends. Two of her friends leave. And we're after the Waffle House. We're going back to her place. And at some point in the night, she told she told me she went to Campbell University. And I'm like in Raleigh. No, I'm from not from the area whatsoever. No clue. I'm like, oh, the Camel's cool. Whatever. They just made the NCAA tournament. I have no effing clue where Raleigh, where Campbell is. Uh, I just assume it's like in town. And so we're going back to Campbell University now. Um, it's we leave Waffle House at 2:15 a.m. I remember vividly. Get it on the highway at one point and I fall asleep because obviously I've been drinking. The double peanut butter too. We'll get double you. peanut butter. And we get to her place. I wake up. It is 3.20 in the morning. She had driven me over an hour outside of Raleigh. I, I look at the clock. I'm like, where, where are we? And she's like, Campbell. And I'm like, where's Campbell? And she's like, oh, it's like, you know, like 65 miles outside of Raleigh. Oh my God. And I'm just like, you have to take me back. <laughs> like, you have to drive. I'm in a wedding tomorrow. And you have to work in the morning. She had to work at like 7 a.m. too. Oh, shit. I, and, and I'm sitting there like talking to her, like freaking out. And I realized like I have no clue what her name is like at this point because I had just, you know, drank Dude, a Dude, you're a savage. At, and I am like, you have to call off work. I'm like, you, you have to call off work. You have to take me back right now because I have the car. Like I'm, ta- I'm driving these people to the wedding. Like I am in this wedding. I have to be there at like noon. And she's like. I finally convinced her. She didn't want. I finally convinced her to call off work with some lame excuse and take me back in the morning. But my God, I, I remember checking my phone. There's no Ubers out there. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Campbell and that University. Uber would have been expensive as hell. Yes. And, and my, I have the keys to the car. Then no one else has the keys. And I was stranded there. Had she not. Talk about a sobering up experience. You wake up like, dude, we need to make some moves yeah. here. We need to make some plays. That's, I was literally uh, like a, immediately stone cold sober. Just like trying to figure out any way to get back to so we've had this conversation before you've told this story before i don't think i've given my proper reaction in terms of who's to blame 
You're the 100% the one to blame. Yeah. yeah it's it's well, not but, her but fault. But I will say. She said she went to Campbell. You know, you don't. You could have, like, been like, oh, where is that? <laughs> and so you're like, yeah, I know Campbell. Go, you know, NCAA tournament. Try to go, go to Campbell's Waffle House. Place. Like, that's you. I don't okay. even know your name. What's up? Like, that was you. You fucked that up. It was at a wedding. And then was, you made her call fun. out of work? What did she do? What was her job? She was a pharmacist. Dude. Someone yeah. didn't get their meds because of you. Or she was, she was in pharmacy school. So that was her whatever. I hope she tells the same story and she's like, this motherfucker. Probably. She probably watches the podcast. Well, that is a fantastic story. Before we get into the cornerback class stuff, a couple of highlights to hit on as well. Justin Fields apparently plays baseball, and that's going to negatively affect his draft stock and his throwing motion. And can you imagine what my first thought was when you saw this kind of breaking from What if he just quits the NFL up in one day? Quits the NFL and just wants to go play baseball for fun. Can you imagine how good Patrick Mahomes would be if he didn't play baseball as a kid? Oh. Can you imagine? I was just going more Tebow. He feels like Tim Tebow 2.0 now at this point. Oh, right? man. You're going to make the Tebow comp. No, I'm kidding. It's a lot of good quarterbacks play baseball. It's like Kyler Murray played baseball. It was like a top, 10, it was like a top 10 pick in the MLB. A lot of good, just lot of good athletes. Deion Sanders, Red's great. Yeah. Hall have you heard about uh, like rotational athletes versus non-rotational athletes and how baseball, you ha- you're a rotational athlete because of what you have to do with like, you know, spinning, spinning the bat and stuff like that? I've read a lot into it. Oh, okay. Like that. Yeah. yeah I know what you mean now. But it's also like you're throwing. Mm-hmm. And those are two sports that you throw a lot at quarterback and baseball. That that should be a positive for you if you play I baseball agree. at a high level. That's a good thing. That means you're coordinated. Yeah. Last thing here, because we had so many people. I probably had over 100 people DM me a link to Maurice Jones-Drews. Maurice Jones-Drews mock drafts. It's mock draft 2.0. Because you always said mock draft 2.0 is where he breaks up the wild stuff. And his first one, he had Javon Holland, I think, being one of the first defensive players drafted. In this mock draft latest one, he still has Javon Holland going in the first round. I think he's one of the only analysts that sees him as a first round pick in the 2021 NFL draft. But outside of that, dare I say it? It's kind of tame. Dare I say it? Someone wrote this for (laughs) DJ. At least this is not the MJD I know. This was too by the book. It was far too by the book. It was way too by the book. I was disappointed. So many people sent the link and I dive in. It's like, what? It's kind of chalky. Like, I mean, there's not a lot to get off here. It's not anything. MJD. Stick your neck out there, I know you didn't. I'm looking at you right now, MJD. I know you didn't write that. I know he didn't write that. He could have written it, but didn't pick it. I know. He could have written it, but didn't pick it. That's not the MJD I know. MJD, MJD, come back. Baby, come back. All right. um, Quarterback class. Let's go ahead and get into the cornerback class, man. Some fun stuff here. We also have, again, at the back end of the show, we got the interview with Danny Kelly of The Ringer and then interview with Marco Wilson of Florida and Kendrick Green of Illinois. And today, not on this episode, I think for either Thursday's or Monday's episode, we're talking to Peter Schrager. Yep. Peter Schrager will be fun. I'm excited for Peter Schrager. He's a big fan of your work. He's a big fan of PFF. Should be a good conversation. All right. Into the cornerback class. Can we start before we dive into your day one, guys? I think the biggest conversation around the cornerback class right now is just how far will Caleb Farley go? And Caleb Farley uh, yesterday was on the Chris Collinsworth podcast talking with Richard Sherman and Chris Collinsworth. Haven't had an opportunity to listen to that in full, but a lot of the, a lot of the conversation has to be about the back injury. You know, the back surgeries over the past two years are impactful and you dropped him obviously from cornerback one. You were probably one of the first analysts to have him as CB one in the 2021 NFL draft. You drop him down to cornerback four behind even Greg Newsom of Northwestern because of these back injuries. What have you heard about the back surgeries and how much do you actually think this is going to impact his stock? I'll read the text from my father. This is what I asked him. I'll read the text from your mom. Easy, easy. Go ahead. Um, So my dad, obviously a former orthopedic surgeon, doesn't know quite the extent. We're going to talk to Dr. Chow uh, two weeks from now on the podcast about it also. But he said, so I said, how bad is having a micro discectomy, the surgery that 
Caleb Farley had for a cornerback prospect. And I believe this is his second one. Or yeah, second, I think it is his second one. Said not great. Really, really depends on the amount of disc that was removed. The surgery should have a quick recovery, but it's more a question of the back maintaining through NFL hits. So then I said, would you draft a guy who just had one in the first round? He said, I would hesitate. Look at Tiger Woods, micro discectomy, same surgery. Brief, but very successful comeback, but then was short-lived and had to have another. So You know who, ex- you know who also had that same surgery? Who? Tony Romo. Oh, yeah. Tony Romo, Romo, and he battled back his whole – was... the back half of his career was just back city. Yeah. That's that's the what I've heard about his back surgeries and that it's very close to what Tony Romo had, and we know what happened with Tony Romo. It's just a very recurring yeah. issue now at this point. Which I also think it's similar to – Because the, that's a far more physical position, obviously, than quarterback even. I also think it's similar to the conversation or the rant I had about turf toe and that, like, quick recovery, but are, are you ever back? Is your back ever back? Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's, it's, you know who we should talk to about is Tony Romo. Tony Romo probably has a lot to Oh, I'd to. love to just get Tony on the horn, yeah. Hey, uh, produce- oh, Jim. <laughs> Jim. I think they're going to go for it, Jim. <laughs> that one was do, a little too. That was too far. Yeah. That might have been too far. But I do think that that was me, like, making fun of Tony Romo. He's yeah. absolutely outstanding in the booth. Oh, yeah. Talk about entertaining. Oh, he's electric. He's uh, as entertaining as they come. I, I would not. Saying, I would put him up there with the best I'd love to get Romo on the right horn now. because... Romo's in demand. It's not like you just call up Tony and Tony's like, okay, sure, I'll come. Producer Dave Sofaro, we need Tony Romo tonight. Tonight, I said. All right, yeah. cool. All right, let's go ahead and get into this cornerback class now. Let's yes. start with now our new cornerback one, Patrick Sertan of Alabama. De facto CB1. Patrick Sertan, highest graded cornerback in the country this past year. Not just Power 5, highest graded in the country. This is a tough year for corners in college football. Sertan, the highest graded one. His biggest pro in the draft guide, consistent technique. He really just, there's not a lot of reps where he like, whoa, that sucked. Like, he absolutely just, you know, blew it. It got a completely out of position. His feet are very calm. He, he's a, you could tell his dad was Patrick Sertan. Like, he has been playing cornerback probably since he's three years old. Like, this guy knows that. I would be very, why well, he's probably cornerback one for us, is similar to the Trevor Lawrence QB one argument. You would just be incredibly surprised if Patrick Sertan's not a quality NFL corner. You might not be getting... Jair Alexander, Jalen Ramsey, Marlon Humphrey. You might not be getting that guy, but you're not going to be getting complete bust. You're not getting um, who's the Vernon Hargraves. I'm trying to think of the Oklahoma former, State guy, former Alabama. Oh, obviously the Oklahoma State guy, but that was other stuff. But who's the former Alabama guy who was just? Oh, um, I know who you're talking about Morris Claiborne. Nope, he was LSU. Uh, I'm oh, thinking of. I know who you're talking about. M- it's like an M. I think also. it is an M too. I can't remember Milliner, D. Milliner. D. Milliner. That's you're not it. getting D. Milliner here. There you go. So you're not getting D. Milliner if you draft Baxter Tan. That was awful. <laughs> that really was. This is our job, too. <laughs> now, at least I've thought of it before you had to look it up. Um, but he's just he's – got he's long. He's fairly fast. He's just not the biggest kind. He's not particularly twitchy. Like, he's not particularly explosive out of his breaks. He's a little – plays a little high. Doesn't sink as well as guys like Horn, guys like Newsom, in and out of, like, when he's flipping his hips – but I think you're going to just be getting a very solid cornerback and a guy who's fairly scheme independent, I'd say. Still really smooth, though. I know he's not twitchy, but I do yeah. think you see some smoothness with this game. His PFF grade has improved Under every control. single year of his career. He's played in 13 games or more, over 800 snaps in each of the past three seasons, too. You don't really see reps like that cornerback position often, yeah. especially coming out of Bama. Like, Bama, usually you're sitting behind some studs. So, And to go back to why probably he started out of the gate – 
former five-star out of American Heritage, played for his dad. Dad was the head coach. And I feel like the, I remember the defense coordinator is another player's head. I think it's Marco Wilson's dad or something. I was talking to Marco Wilson today, or, or he's on the podcast today. Marco Wilson also played American Heritage. They said their secondary was Patrick Sertan, five-star, Tyson Campbell, five-star. They had Anthony Schwartz, the Auburn receiver at free safety. Ooh. And Marco Wilson would come in and play the slot. Like, come on. That defense, they won back-to-back state titles. Like, that is absurd. American Heritage was like a cheat code back That's... in the day. And they had really, le- like, legit coaching. Like, Marco Wilson's dad was a DC. Patrick Sertan's dad was the head coach. It was just an absolute Imagine all boys club four, there. four, seven and being the slowest guy in the, your secondary in absurd. high school. <laughs> absurd. Incredible stuff. All right. Cornerback two on the PFF draft board, J.C. Horn from South Carolina. Big thing I just saw the other day about him that I thought was very interesting. He turned 20 in November, end of November. This guy's super young. Like, talk about guys being, oh, he won't turn 21 until, you know, before his rookie year. He won't turn 21 until the end of his rookie year, J.C. Horn. His biggest pro is confidence. The, the guy plays the game like he is the alpha on the football field every single time he's out there. Doesn't matter if he just got cooked the last play. He's going to act like he's the best player in the football field the next play. And that's that's what you want. Like, if you're going to be Jalen Ramsey, you got to kind of act like a Jalen Ramsey. You got to kind of have that in you mentally. And J.C. Horn does. Um, the biggest con, though, is his tackling. He is a little out of control. He plays just the whole, I think just maybe the biggest con could just be out of control in general a lot of times. Like, he is over-aggressive for sure. His play style will not work in the NFL. He will get... Brandon Browner flags thrown on him. He's going to get a ton of flags with how physical he is. Uh, and basically, if he's not impressed man, he's not J.C. Horn. He's a guy at cornerback. You're drafting him because you want him to play press. Uh, this past year, 8 of 24 targets for 116 yards he allowed. That was Those were the best just like raw numbers of anyone in the country this past year. He's pretty, pretty damn good. But again he's not scheme independent. Yeah. This guy's got to be on the line. Where do you, where do you expect him to go in the draft? Do you see him? I think I've seen him mocked to Dallas at 10. I've seen Philly at 12, Arizona at 16. I do like the fit. I like Philly. I think that has a fit. Um, I would think Philly, if New England really doesn't want to go elsewhere, I think New England makes sense. Then Arizona as well. Gotcha. But I, right. I'd be hard pressed to see him slip past that. People like, I don't know. We've had questions in the past asking, you know, is he going to follow the jets at 23? Packers twin? I don't think so. I really don't think he will. All right, next guy, Greg Newsom. This is one of my favorite cornerbacks in the class. I really do like Greg Newsom. I remember when we were talking about it like January, February. I was like, man, some people are talking about him, and I'm really, really a big fan. I think the reason, I think for Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn, you see these single coverage, one-on-one, press man reps, and you're like, man, these are the guys I want. This is where the NFL is going. With yeah. Newsom, he doesn't have that many on his tape. He doesn't play a ton at the line of scrimmage, but – there's nothing that gets me a little bit more yeah. more excited than some off coverage breaks on the ball. When you can see that twitch yeah. that Newsom brings to the table, it's it's awesome to see. Biggest pro is his feet. Biggest con acceleration. I know he ran what four three seven whatever his pro day, but like he's not quite as straight line bursty and closing burst as some other guys in this class, or as what you'd want in an elite CB one type of guy. But his feet and his hips are absurdly good. He really, and that's the thing though, is you see a lot because he's playing a lot of off zone coverage. They're kind of a spot drop zone team there at Northwestern. It's what he's doing on tape. Not a lot of press, and then not a lot of top wideouts he faced. He faced Ohio State without Chris Olave, and he played a half before he got hurt. And that's it in terms of the teams he's facing in the Big Ten. Like Wisconsin ain't got top tier wideouts. Illinois 
ain't got top tier wideouts that he was facing. So not a lot of pro competition on his tape this past year, but no one also beat him. Like he was also just pretty much locked down on his side of the field. So Greg Newsome, like I think there's a tier of three guys that are taking a ton of boxes when it comes to the NFL without sort of a ton of red flags. It's those three. Farley, we're going to get to next, obviously, has the injury red flag. Asante Samuel has the size red flag. Those won't be for everybody, but those three, I think, are going to be in demand for a lot of different teams. He also, I think, has the lowest completion percentage allowed of any cornerback in 2020. Played, and, you know, that I think you said, you know, didn't give up a lot this past really? year. Really? Was it lower than JC Horn? Horn's is like 33%. I think his was under that. I think it was like 20 some percent. Was it? It might have been the lowest pass rating allowed. Well, maybe maybe it was pass rating. It was pass rating. Thirty one point seven pass rating. That's what against. I pretty nuts in his coverage. Only twelve of thirty four targets for ninety three yards all season. He didn't give up a single. I don't think a single game over like fifty yards. Like he was he was yeah. out there locking it down. All right, uh, Caleb Farley, CB four now from CB one to CB four. How the might have fallen, and it's just the injury. Yeah, on tape, no one plays. No no one has what he has. Six two two oh seven with. I mean, he says 4-2 speed. I don't doubt it. He's the fastest guy on tape of all these guys, and I don't even think it's that close. Like, he makes up ground better than any cornerback in this class. And when you can make up ground, and when you have great ball skills, and when you're six foot two, 207, it's a good path to success. You know, that's a good combination to have. You're just – you're not going to get cooked a lot of times when you have those three things in tandem. Um, and he didn't yeah. <laughs> at Virginia Tech, dude. He was awesome at it. And coverage grade over 90 in 2019. Um, passer rating under 30. Like, it was just as good as it gets in coverage. And then not only that, but some breaks going forward. Like, he accelerates downhill as well. Doesn't have another guy who doesn't have a ton of press man on his tape. I think he can do that at the next level. But that hasn't been what he's been all about. Has a tackling problem. 21 misses on 80 attempts in his career it's a bad but he break. hasn't played corner for that long but then also yeah only two years of playing cornerback at virginia tech i almost ACL see that as a pro well. not the missed tackles but like the fact that he's only played cornerback for roughly two years and, and it's good i thought he did a really good job of attacking the ball late at the catch point like that's stuff that Such you don't really pick yeah. that's something you just don't pick up normally at cornerback until late in the process i think the other thing i added too is there's an article um, when he first gets recruited to Virginia Tech and he first commits, they're asking him what he runs. He says, I run in the four twos, but I tell people four threes because they don't believe me. And he had that video of him obviously running in the four twos, whether or not you think it's doctor or whatever. Regardless, the guy's fast, like low four three, high four two type of fast. And I think something Sam Monson has brought up a handful of times in talking about cornerbacks is that he has the makeup speed, the best makeup speed that you really have seen from a cornerback in quite some time. Like he can get back if he does get beaten, those types of things. So a lot of good things to say about Caleb Farley. Last guy here on the day ones, Asante Samuel Jr. of Florida State. So to, to cap it off, J.C. Horn, obviously Joe Horn's son, Patrick Sertan, Patrick Sertan's son, and then you have Asante Samuel Jr., Asante Samuel's son, all in the and first Greg round. And Greg Newsom the second, obviously Greg Newsom's son. Yeah, he's a son as well. <laughs> You're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go figure out what Greg Newsom did. I'm going to figure out what Greg Newsom right. did. But yeah, Asante Samuel Jr. Um, basically, just what's your scouting report for Asante Samuel Sr. And then add a guy who could tackle. That's that's kind of how he plays. Like he is super instinctive. They play a ton of. He's actually playing a ton of cover two in Florida's uh, scheme there, which kind of wasting his skill set to be honest. But you just see his ability to 
read routes and get between them and, and understand leverage like all like the little things about playing the quarterback position you got to do he has and then to me his also the biggest other skill besides that it's just the the quicks in any way shape or form i just like say from a standstill he can get up to full speed quicker than anyone in this class going any direction that he wants like he just the guy bursts out of his brakes um just the bounciness in him is legit like it, it he didn't test all world athletically, but he tested very well at his pro day. So I think he can 5'10", 185. I think he can, I can play outside. I have no real questions about it. Not for every scheme again. You're not going to want him pressing Julio Jones in man coverage a ton or even like the press cover three stuff. He's not going to jam guys and get that edge. But any, any defense that's going to play a lot of off, that's this year, dude. Were you at all surprised by kind of his overall athleticism? I think looking at PFF athleticism score, he ranked in the 16th percentile among cornerbacks over the past, you know, I think 20 years. I think that's where he ended up. I'm not sure how. I think it's he ran more, a four four one. I think it also factors in size, though. I think oh, it's okay. overall like athleticism with with size and arm length and that type of yeah, stuff. Yeah, he had serious numbers: four four one, thirty five inch vertical, ten four broad, six nine eight three cone, four oh nine shuttle, which like and twelve bench reps is pretty good. Um, there's not a bad number among those. Mm -hmm. The worst one's probably the cone, honestly. And it's still a sub seven. I still, I, I think the, you know, the worst number is actually obviously the size and, and arm the length. Size. Yeah, the yeah. size and arm length is probably the worst one. Um, fun fact, we've talked to three of these guys on the podcast, Pastor Sutan, Caleb Farley, and Asante Samuel Jr., all on episodes of the podcast. And that Asante Samuel Jr. also talks a lot like his dad. He's got the same voice, kind of like Chris Collinsworth's son, Jack. Mm. They have the same voice. But um, all right, let's go ahead now and Good jump. nugget. <laughs> the the other nugget I have is something we didn't bring up is Greg Newsom's also one of the younger cornerbacks in this class. He, he was born in the 2000s, um, only 20 years old. All right, let's now look at day two, starting with UCF cornerback Aaron Robinson. Yeah, I like Aaron Robinson. He's only played slot in his career at UCF. Really good in press. They press a lot from the slot as well. Very physical guy. Going to get up in your grill. He has shorter arms than Asante Samuel Jr. does. He has 30-inch arms. Um, but he's fast, athletic dude. Um, and I think I think you almost want to keep him in the slot. Like I think he'll be coveted for teams that play man coverage, and he'll be your slot cornerback in that. Because I think you also want him around the ball. Like He is a good tackler, aggressive player. Um, sometimes overly aggressive. And again, I, I think he could get exposed with that on the outside, not being you know, only 5'11", 186 pounds with short arms. I, I, for with how like you can't play that physical game on the outside if you don't have the tools to play a physical game. So I, I do worry about that. But I think from the slot, I wouldn't worry about it as much. So I think he's just a solid player. That UCF secondary out. man in 2019, Aaron Robinson, Richie Grant, Tate Gowan, they, yeah. those guys were some dogs, dude. They, it, that was kind of an lead into our next guy here. We're probably going to be the highest on Tate Gowan of any draft analyst necessarily. Mel Kuyper, though, is coming around. He had him at CB10. What do we got him at? CB, this would be one, two, three, four, seven. CB7. Tate Gowan. He's one year of college football. That's the, that's the problem here. He has played one year of college football, and it was in 2019 for UCF. Now, in that year, he earned an 80.1 coverage grade, a 77.7 .7 run defense grade, allowed a passer rating of 54.9 in his coverage, and only 20 of 50 targets for 274 yards all year long. 
And I, I think only like one deep catch allowed all year long as well. Like he allowed some big plays, but they were underneath stuff that turned into big plays. I think only allowed one deep catch all year long. He is fast, long, like not as fast and as long as like Farley, but has that to his game to where, I don't know, I'm just a fan. And, and I thought his burst to close and like his, the way he attacked catch point was the way you want to see it. Now, again, didn't face a ton of top competition. I thought when he did face Simi Fajoko, though, for Stanford, I thought he held up really well. And then his pro day, sub, sub 4, 5, 40, 6, 8, 6, 3 cone, 35 and a half inch vertical, 9, 10 broad jump. Those are all fairly good numbers for a taller cornerback. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure why. No one's really even. I mean, it's lack of tape, man. I mean, he transferred from Miami, Ohio, had to think, had to, I think, sit out a year, and then played at UCF in 2019, and then was had to opt out of 2020 season because had a premature daughter, got COVID, gave COVID 19 to his daughter and his grandma, and then was like, I can't do, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, you know, obviously sacrifice, make the sacrifices for my family, and had to put family ahead of. You know his his football career when when I interviewed him, dude was practically in tears talking about it, man. Having to sacrifice that, having to sacrifice, literally sacrifice moving up most people's boards. Because if you don't put that last year on tape, especially only playing in the group of five, it's gonna be. I mean, that's difficult, man. You're trying, you're putting your career behind you and yeah. um, putting your career below other things. So, take Allen's an awesome story in addition to PFF's CB seven. Yeah. Now CB eight, Kelvin Joseph of Kentucky, the former LSU transfer. I think transferred to Kentucky after multiple. Um, Failed drug tests. I think that was the biggest thing at LSU. Yeah. He goes to Kentucky and um, what? Yeah, there's some off-field issues here that are legitimately playing an impact in his evaluation. But his tape is kind of wild. Like He has some of the best just first-step burst of anyone in this class. He had a break. Oh, gosh, we had a pick six against – who was it? Was it Florida? Whatever game he had a pick six in. Um, I should remember this. Was it – all right. Well, the game he had a pick six in. Literally, like, it wasn't even that bad a decision from the opposing quarterback. Maybe it was – I think it was Tennessee. Now that I think about it. It wasn't even that bad a decision from the opposing quarterback. He just literally was that fast out of his break. Like, he didn't jump the route. He didn't, like, read it, anything special. He is just from a standstill, a lightning bolt coming downhill. So that's his biggest sort of pro. You, you see the high-end reps on his tape, but he is just a very inconsistent guy coming out right now. Like you, He could be – this is a guy who, if he came back to school, had a good year, more consistent year in 2021. He's got like top 10 type tools. He, he could be cornerback one in whatever class comes in if he did put it all together. But it'd be hard pressed for me to take this guy off the board before like late second at this point just because of that up and down nature. Up and down on and off the field. And yeah, <laughs> and it's not like it's just limited to him exactly on the field. I definitely think that um, the interview process comes up big with guys like Tay Gowan and Kelvin Joseph. You're going to want to talk to those guys. And because I think a lot of the question that we ask ourselves is when you have guys like Kelvin Joseph or other like legit athletes, it's like, why didn't we see it? You know, why didn't you put it all together at, at uh, Kentucky? Why didn't you put it all together at LSU? And I feel like because a lot of what you're trying to do when you bring these guys in, you evaluate them for what their talent is and what they offer as an athlete and all those things. How do we remove the bad from his tape? How do we remove the weaknesses from his game? Some of that, some of those weaknesses are removing them off the field and developing him as a, you know, as a player and as an adult and those types of things. So it will be interesting to see where Kelvin Joseph lands and how quickly he can actually get rid of the roller coaster in his game on and off the field. All right, jumping to this guy is a lot of people's favorites. People are falling in love with him at the same rate people are falling in love with his brother. 
a few years ago. Rup, Ifatu, Ifatu Melifanwu, obviously the younger brother. Ooh, and, of, and it has to be noted with Kelvin Joseph. 7213 come. That's bleak. Bleak. What percentile is that? That's less than 50. That's baskets. Give yeah. Big, big uh, Justin Gilbert vibes from. Uh oh. Justin Gilbert vibes? Just saying. That's like. We're bringing up way too many about. busts on this <laughs> podcast. D. Milner, Justin Gilbert. Who are some other ones? Big time CB bus. I mean, Morris Claiborne was kind of. Yeah, that's really true. That I mean, Garyon Conley hasn't panned out necessarily. Mm. All right. Uh, Eli Apple, Vern Hargraves. Very true. All right. Ifatu. Hey, Eli Apple's about to revive his career here. Tangle great. <laughs> Future friend of the pod. Um, <laughs> Ifatu. Ifatu Melifano, the Syracuse cornerback, younger brother of former UConn and Raiders safety, Obi Melifano. These guys are freaky, man. They, yeah. You look at, you know, so I brought up that athleticism score from Dr. Eric Eager and the percentile. He has the highest percentile of any corner in this class. He is a freak. The explosiveness, all those things he brings to the table. I think is this this isn't the same, but it's look like Tarzan playing like Jane. I don't think he doesn't look like Tarzan, but I'm saying athleticism score of Tarzan plays like Jane because you just don't see that physicality. Is in his Tarzan game. known for his freak athleticism? I don't know. I mean, the dude when he's slipping and sliding, <laughs> yeah, he on can the trees, swing from trees. I mean, that's you got to be. An are you doubting Tarzan's athleticism? Would he run? What, does he put anything? He doesn't run. He time? swings. Bro. Tarzan was yoked up. <laughs> it's true. All right, but Ifatu, 41 and a half inch vertical, 11 foot two broad jump at 6 foot 2, 205. Explosive dude. Rare physical tools. It's not physical though. To be that tall and that big could have been, should have been a bully. He's at his best though in like off zone coverage when he can see the ball and make breaks and then play at the catch point. He can be physical at the catch point, but he's just not physical with opposing wide receivers and like bodying them. That's. A little scary. Yeah. Like, he got sunned by Javon McKinley from Notre Dame. Just like... Javon McKinley's kind of a hoss, though. Javon McKinley's a big... I kind of like McKinley. Dude's a monster. <laughs> but that's not good because yeah. McKinley's not your... He's not going to be starting in the NFL next year. Yeah. Or probably, you know, anytime soon. I mean, the bigger bodies are going to hurt him. That, and that's scary. That's like, that's his biggest strength, and it's not really, like, that big of a strength with him. And now he is a freak athlete, but again, so is his brother and... Not even I still right think Obi Fanu could have panned out an outside corner. Safety where you kind of have to show up all the time and play again. Yeah. They wanted him to be the tight end eraser. And like, this is never going to be his game, I don't think. Like, you have to be a dog. You know who's like more of a tight end eraser than Obi Fanu, despite like drastic size differences? Buda Baker. Like, Buda yeah. Baker is more of a tight end eraser than what Fanu was, even though Fanu was like six foot four, 220, and like an 11 foot broad or whatever it was. So, yeah. all right. Next guy here, and I can't believe you're higher on this Georgia cornerback than the other one. Because I think okay. going into the process, I think you had Tyson Campbell as the better Georgia cornerback. But now, Eric Stokes, what, CB9, CB8 on PFF's draft board? Give it to me. Stokes can fly. 4-3-1 as pro day. He's got pretty good ball skills, pretty good length, honestly, for a guy who's six foot, 32 and three-quarter inch arms. It just is not smooth. Like, he's not a smooth athlete. By any means. And, and you see his texting, his his shuttle, he had the dreaded Trey Waynes where his shuttle is slower than his 40. 436 short shuttle. It's very slow for a cornerback. That's just he can't uh can't mirror guys. Like he in press coverage, he had to be in guys' grill. And that's like the Georgia thing we've talked about in the pod a bunch of times. The way Georgia plays coverage, it's either you're in press at the line, and when you're in off zone, you're catching guys where yeah. basically you're just trying to go attach yourself to them once they start to go vertical on you. And so you're, it's why 
DeAndre Baker goes in the NFL, looks like this awesome physical presence first year of college, goes in the NFL and can't guard a nine route saves life. Yeah. Because it's so different. And when you don't have that, you don't have the hips, when you don't have that change of direction ability, you get scared for guys like that. And now he has the makeup speed to do it, like to at least play better in a straight line. But I do still have my concerns about how he's going to mirror guys. The shuttle and the cone matter at the cornerback position. It's not all about the straight line speed, man. You got to be able to flip your hips and have some of that for sure. All right, jumping to Thomas Graham Jr., Senior Bowl representative out of Oregon. Representative doesn't make any sense. He went to the fucking Senior Bowl. I did not. <laughs> he went to the Senior Bowl, uh, the Oregon cornerback. And you have here biggest pro for Thomas Graham, patience, it's biggest patience. con, burst. Yeah, he's not particularly twitched up, closing speed. Guy gets stepping him down the football field. You worry about him making it up. And, and obviously that's scary for a position like outside cornerback where you're going to have to make stuff up at times. As pro day, though, 4-4-9, good speed, but then he had a 1-6-1-10 split, which is more kind of indicative of that closing burst that he doesn't necessarily have. Um, but on his tape, he's so, like I said, the patience shows again and again. He is not jumpy, is not taking the bait from guys, does not bite on double moves. And then because of that, I mean, he had 15 pass breakups in 2018, 24 pass breakups and eight picks in a three-year career there at Oregon before opting out his senior year. It's, it's fairly good size. Like, he's 5'11", 190. Um, it's just kind of solid. All around solid. Not necessarily high-end on his tape, but I think you could still win with that. Just It's not exceptional. You have a player comp in mind for Thomas Graham? <sighs> That's a good one. Just Prince of Mukumara. There you go. Nice. All right. Uh, this is another one of my favorite corners in terms of the day two guys, guys that I like. Uh, Benjamin St. Juiced. Uh, I think he was born in Canada, goes to Minnesota. And I think the biggest thing right now, you have to talk about at the top. It's a fucking change of direction. That three cone is absurd. Yeah. At his size, too. Like he's a longer, taller cornerback. Benjamin St. Juiced with a dirty three cone. 6'3 and a quarter inches. 32 and 5 eighths inch arms. And then he puts up a 6'6'3 six, six, three, three cone and a 4.01 shuttle. That's where you want your corners to thrive. And now he's not fast. But you can make up for that when you're 6'3 with 32 and 5 inches. Yeah. It's only 4'5'5 five, five at his pro day, which combine adjusts that. He's probably like a 4'6 guy. He's just not going to be your makeup speed kind of guy. But with his wingspan, with his ability to alter guys throughout their routes, and yeah, I've come around on St. Juice as being a nice, like I said, the day two options I don't love in this cornerback class. I think you want one of those top five guys that we hit on, the day one guys. I feel just much, much better about those than kind of what you can get on day two. But St. Juice in certain schemes, if you're running a lot of press, he's an interesting guy. The only kind of then one con. Also worth noting, he's 23 already. Yeah, he's one of the order. Turns older. 24 before next season. So that's e. one of the older cornerbacks in this class. All right, Trey Brown of Oklahoma. Oh, I love Trey Brown. And now he beat the shit out of his tape against Oklahoma State wideout Tylen Wallace. Impeccable to watch because he is not big, Trey Brown. He's 5'10", 190, but he consistently plays far, far bigger than that. Um, you need to combine Ifatu Melifanu and Trey Brown exactly. to just make the perfect – Outside corner, and, and I just lean towards guys 
in this mold or the guys who want to play that physical game. And he's been starting for three years at Oklahoma, never really gotten cooked the past two years. He allowed fewer than 300 yards each of the last two seasons in the Big 12. It's a rarity. 13 pass breakups in 2019, five pass breakups this past year, and three picks. Really good ball production. He goes to the senior bowl in the one-on-ones, has two picks in the one-on-ones. You never see that. You never see that. And that's like, there's a lot to like about this guy, just the way he plays the game. I know people are probably going to pigeonhole him to the slot because of his size, because he lacks you know, 30 and 3 inch arms, a shade below 5'10", 185. But he's fast, runs a 4'4'2", explosive 38-inch vertical. Like I think he could hold up on the outside for certain teams. I just, I just I'm going to say it. He's a football player. I want him on my team. There you go. The, the, the not take take, there's my take. I will say this, and I think you have – I mean, he's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see where teams evaluate him because obviously they're looking for measurables at the position. I wonder if he does ultimately fall to day three. It could be a day three steal for a team. All right, Paulson at Debo, Stanford cornerback. You have him as the last guy here in the day two tier, dude. My watch just, is a fucking disaster. My God. All right, yeah, Debo, probably the best ball skills of any cornerback in this class. He is exceptional at locating the football. He had as a redshirt freshman back in 2018. 19 pass breakups and four picks. Then redshirt sophomore 2019, five pass breakups and four picks. Consistently gets his ball and his hands on the ball. He's just, so, his feet are so all over the place. He has some of the worst feet of any of the top corners backs in this class. Like he cannot stick with guys. He is a silo route monster. He is not going to be, or he is tailor-made for a press cover three the seattle cover three and i'm not sure i want him doing anything else at the next level that's it maybe some off zone but like he can't tackle either he's not a good tackler 25 missed tackles on like 130 attempts in let's keep him on the west coast let's get seattle pick Paul seattle, seattle in the third you know i'd love that fit that, that that's where he needs to go somewhere like that and he can succeed kind of like byron maxwell where it's just like that guy was not going to thrive anywhere else but ask him to do that and i think he's, he can do it because that like I said, his ball skills are really as good as it gets from a college prospect. All right, moving to day three, you have a whole host of guys here. I was going to say, how do we want to split? I'm going to split three. them into groups. I'm going to talk about the okay. first group, and then we're going to talk about the latter group. First group is Tyson Campbell of Georgia, Elijah Griffin of USC, Ambry Thomas, Michigan, your guy, Rashad Wild Goose of Wisconsin, Rodarius Williams, Oklahoma State, Greedy Williams, older brother. And you have Sean Wade of Ohio State at the cornerback spot, could move to safety in the NFL, and then Robert Rochelle of Central Arkansas. So, like I said, Tyson Campbell, he ran a 4-4-5 shuttle as pro day and a 7-1-5 cone. He's a fast dude, but he's that's that's very worrisome. Not a lot, not a good track record if you go just look at any comparables in those in those ranges for the cornerback position. And then not a lot of ball production. He's not an instinctive corner at all. I believe he has fewer than five combined picks and pass breakups in his entire college career. So that one's worrisome. Um, I know he's getting earlier hype than that. I'm I'm off him though. My guy in this group is Rashad Wild Goose. He's he's another guy who he has a man skill set. It's like 5'11", 190, has some burst to his game, has some explosiveness. But he played off zone in the slot at Wisconsin. Just like played a position that I don't think that's going to be his ideal position in the NFL. I'm just intrigued by his skill set. Uh, and, and honestly, the last tape we saw from him was as a sophomore. He played something like 50 snaps this past year before he opted out. Got hurt and then opts out. And now he's in the draft as a true junior coming out 
of Wisconsin. Did you write all is, that on the trivia card the other day? And absolutely, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's my full <laughs> scouting report I gave on the when he was. But that's why he was in that trivia thing because he's not a well-known name because of all these reasons. I have no clue why in the world he declared. Yeah. You know, like the, did not put up nearly good enough tape to justify. Like, you can't justify drafting this guy in the top three rounds because of just like how what we've seen from him between his freshman and sophomore year. But I will just say, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm glad you're intrigued. All right. Next Do you think Sean Wade ultimately makes a move to safety, though, in the NFL? I think he has to, or, or slot cornerback. But I don't think he's like a true slot in the sense that like, he's not your short area quickness slot. He's more just like a physical presence mm-hmm. in the slot. Which, Maybe box safety. Box safety. Just safety right. in general. Last group here for the day three cornerbacks. You have Bryce Thompson, Tennessee. Shakur Brown, Michigan State. DJ Daniel, the other Georgia corner. Israel Mukwamu, South Carolina, the big monster, six foot four monster. I've also heard from like every receiver I've talked to, the South Carolina boys talk a lot of trash. Israel mm-hmm. Mukwamu and JC Horn can rip it. That whole team apparently talks a shitload of trash, but I kind of like that about his game. If you're going to be that big and not talk trash, I'm a little upset. Marco Wilson of Florida, who's on the podcast today, had a freaky, freaky pro day. And Mark Gilbert of Duke and then Cameron Bynum of Cal. I also bring up with Marco the shoe throw. It's just, he's got his answer to what that fucking Prepare. worked. That thing is worked. It was a mistake. I'm moving on from it. I was fired up. I was passionate. Whatever. Bang. You know who does? So I, I was looking into this recently. So you have the Marco Wilson shoe throw that obviously cost him that game. <laughs> Elijah Moore did the dog pee thing. Dog pee. Yeah. Yeah. And no one brings that, that up. Oh, Interesting I a year ago. I, I, I brought it up recently. But I do think that it's a legendary move mm-hmm. if uh, you like the player. If you don't, you're like, yeah, Marco Wilson, boneheaded, you know, whatever. But Marco Wilson also talks about that as well. Give me your favorites or right. some of the highlights. Interesting here guys group. here to me. DJ Daniel. You know, he doesn't start because he's behind Stokes and Campbell. And he kind of started in 2019 because Campbell got hurt. But he's really good at the line of scrimmage. A really physical dude. Not particularly athletic. I think he ran a 4-6 as pro day which a 4-6 pro day is like, oof, that's getting scary, especially for the cornerback position. I'd love to move this guy to safety with the way he plays. Basically, how well, how good he has as a tackler, how well he attacks the football, and just like his length, 33 and 3 inch arms at 5'11", 195. I'd be intrigued to see what this guy could do at the safety position. He's one of my favorites, like move safety. And the other guy, we've highlighted Marco Wilson as, you know, up and down, ridiculous physical tools. We highlight them in the Pro Day winners and losers. The other guy I want to highlight, though, is Mark Gilbert from Duke. You go back and watch his 2017 tape, I believe. I think it was way back then. It was awesome. It was his sophomore year. Breaks his hip. Femur. Dislocates his hip. Has the, has the Tua injury. Doesn't play for two years after that. Comes back this past year. Doesn't quite look the same. It had like complications with the hip surgery. As pro day though, puts up really good numbers. A 10-10 broad jump, four four eight forty. Like if you would have drafted him just after that sophomore year, he probably would have been a day two guy. If he can get back fully healthy, maybe you're looking at something. I'm still the tape this past year though was not not great. It was not the uh, it's not the guy we saw back in 2017. Interesting. This cornerback group, man. I think you talked about it before the podcast. After day one. It gets bleak. There is a drop-off after Asante Samuel Jr. in this class. I mean, you're working with, I mean, my favorite guys after that. You, know, you have Gowan, Afatima Lafonwu, St. Juiced. But there's a lot of, like, if you're expecting guys on day two, day three to come in and start, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. 
some developmental guys cool. on day two and day three. Not as deep as the tackle class, not as deep as the wide receiver class, etc. But the top end, I like the first four guys a lot. And I like, the five, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. as well. But from a purely like expecting these guys, if healthy, with these Rowan Caleb Farley to play outside cornerback and start in the NFL, those first four guys, legit. Asante Samuel Jr.'s floor is starting in the slot and having a ton of success yeah. there. Awesome stuff, man. All right, let's go ahead and now jump to the interview with the Ringers, Danny Kelly. Watch the PFF NFL Draft Show live on PFF.com starting the April 29th, covering every round with live reaction and analysis from Chris Collinsworth, PFF's team of draft analysts, myself, Mike Renner, Eric Eager, Sam Monson, Steve Palzolo, guest appearances from Richard Sherman, Al Michaels, Darius Butler should be quite the time. Definitely go to every single round. We're going to do every single round on PFF.com. And before you do, go get the latest draft guide. 2021 NFL Draft Guide is finally out. 300 player profiles. Subscribe to PFF Edge or Elite to get access. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these decisions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription Access and one year, 365 days, of Action Pro Subscription Access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription, offering tailor-made to make Avid and new betters better. This is a limited-time offer that is currently only made available now through the end of the draft. This offer only applies to first-time Elite Annual subscribers. Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is Danny Kelly of The Ringer, a guy I first met at the Combine, I think, what, two years ago now? Yep, we weren't, yep. weren't able to connect in Indianapolis, obviously, in 2020. I'm looking forward to 2022. The Combine in 2022 is going to be an absolute <laughs> freak. I am going to I, – I don't, I don't know if I'm going to work, honestly. I might take the Super Combine, week. yeah. <laughs> the Combine and the Senior Bowl in 2022, I, I'm going to turn into an absolute riot. I, I, I refuse for it to be anything else. Unfortunately, yep. Mike unable to join us today, so you're just going to be talking to the stash himself, Austin Gale, here on the <laughs> I show. I love it. But um, you do a lot of really good work for the ringer. You're, you're great. You're a great follow on Twitter. I'll, I encourage everyone to follow Danny on Twitter. I think it's at Danny Kelly, right? Pretty simple. At Danny B. Kelly. Oh, at Danny B. Kelly. Yeah, the Danny Kelly there. is like a British soccer analyst guy. So I kind of, I get, I get these random tweets, like basically yelling at me for some take I <laughs> the Danny Kelly gave on, on soccer. And I, I have no idea what they're talking about. That's incredible. We'll give Danny <laughs> Kelly, the, the British guy, a follow too. You might as well yeah. at this point. Um, but you also, so you do great work for the ringer. The draft guy at the ringer is one of my favorites. I remember talking to you two years ago. I was like, man, I'm just like losing my mind. I do a lot of the SEO stuff here at PFF and I just love how it's structured. I love the design, the, the draft guy. I encourage everyone to check that out as well. And you also do the ringer fancy football show, a good podcast and the ringer NFL show ringer draft guy. You do everything, man. You are the guy, <laughs> the guy at the ringer. It's great to have you on, man. Um, I appreciate that. Are you, are you still based in Seattle? Yeah, Seattle area. I'm actually up in Bellingham for people that know the area. So about 80 miles north. Um, but I had lived in Seattle for like 15 years before that. So I think I, I can kind of still claim it. Nice. That's good. Seattle's one of my favorite places in the, in the country, man. I love the coffee love and the it. food yeah. out in Seattle. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into this. I know I wanted to kind of focus on skill players today. You do a lot of the skill player work there, obviously, with that fantasy slant for the mm -hmm. ringer. Where I'd like to start is, you know, if you go to your draft guide right now, which, again, I would encourage you all to check that out. Just Google the ringer draft guide. Uh, you have Jamar Chase of LSU at three on your overall big board. Kyle mm -hmm. Pitts. 
Kyle Pitts, the obvious tight end slash weapon, calling him game changer in some ways. Um, <laughs> he's there at number four. And then at five, you have Devontae Smith. The question I have for you is, you know, what do you feel like are ideal? Land? I'm not going to ask you who's better. I'm not going to say who would you pick if you had to choose. I mean, it's, these guys are all so close and evident yeah. with your three, four, five ranking. But I'd love to hear some ideal landing spots for those three guys in the first 10 to 12 picks. So I've, I've started to come around on the idea that Pitts is going to go to Atlanta at number four. I'm feeling nice. like they're just going to pick the guy that they think is the most talented player, the, the most talented non-quarterback in the draft. And that's Pitts, I think. And so I'm, I'm starting to see that. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense schematically, like Arthur Smith coming over from Tennessee. You know, he, he incorporates a lot of 12 personnel. He's a former tight ends coach, I believe. So he has a, a good feel for that position. I could see them putting him along Julio along with Julio and, and Calvin Ridley and just really doing a lot of damage. They have, they have like the setup to do that. So I really like that, um, that pairing a lot. Um, I've got in my next mock, I'm going to have chase actually going to Cincinnati. You're, you're in Cincinnati, right? Like what's sort of like the prevailing wind right now for what that figure is going to be. Cincinnati Bengals fans. I'll tell you what do some don't want Kyle Pitts, some love yeah. the Jamar chase selection. And then there's a handful that, and I think because Cincinnati Bengals fans are very nervous because they just feel like they don't want to bust. They want Panay Sewell. It's like, man, I just don't want to bust. I just want someone who can come yeah. in. We know it's going to be good. So there's also a lot of fans. I mean, week 16, week 17, they had Panay for your thoughts as signs at Bengals, <laughs> at the Bengals stadium. Okay. No like, there were, they literally, they've been oh, rooting wow. for this offensive lineman for quite some time. It's, even when they were select, you know, propped up to draft at three, now drafting at five. I think a lot of Bengals fans want to stay safe. Want to go get Panay Sewell, mm-hmm. but I think the other players there mentioned are obviously Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts. Some nervous about you know positional value, but you kind of try and explain positional scarcity at a skyline chili here in Cincinnati. It just doesn't go over well. Okay, not all these guys are ready for that level of conversation, but I do think that right now it's leaning towards a Chase or Pitts over Sewell. Yeah. That's where I'm leaning, and I think yeah. that's where Bengals fans are leaning. But there are there is a certain percentage of guy, you know uh, Bengals fans that want Sewell as the safer pick. Yeah, yeah. All that being said. I think, I think it's a good chance it's going to be Chase. And I think it makes a lot of sense for them too because he gives them that hit-the-ground running playmaker. He's going to be already have that – he's going to have that built-in chemistry already with Burrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's special enough of a prospect. I mean, we – like the big knock on him coming into the, like the pro day circuit was he wasn't that fast or that athletic. And then he absolutely blew the doors off of his testing. He's just absolutely incredible athlete in addition to all the skills that he showed off, you know, in 2019 when he – um, I think he led the, led the nation in yards and touchdowns. He's just a really, really good player with elite traits. And I think as, is you know, obviously this is one of those things like you're going to live to regret this, but he, he has a high floor. I don't think he's like a bust type prospect type of guy who could bust. Um, but you know, every player is a little bit different. We'll see. I, I just really like that fit. I, I think in that offense, he would be, um, you know, he would make that offense so dangerous with, with T Higgins, Tyler boy in the slot. Um, you know, they just have a lot of good targets for burrow and then they could grab like a tackle or a guard in the second round and work from there, or maybe, you know, make a trade or something like that to grab, you know, more offensive line help. But I think getting a blue chip receiver of that caliber, I don't think you're going to get a guy like that in the second round at receiver, whereas you could get a very good tackle. Obviously it's not going to be the same as Penny Sewell, but, um, I guess it's just like how it, the the discussion and the argument is is shaped by how people I th- I think feel about building teams and whether you build from the trenches or you know if maybe you look at what the Bills did where they brought in a bunch of free agent offensive linemen and kind of rebuilt their offensive line that way and then 
went and traded for Stefan Diggs and, and that what what Diggs did for that offense, I think people could say, look, this is what a guy like Chase could do for our offense. So um I like Chase there. And and then finally with Smith, I think I've got him going to the Eagles in this next in this next mock draft I'm working on right now. Mm-hmm. But he could go anywhere from Miami uh to Detroit maybe Carolina. There's a, there's several different landing spots there that I really like. I think the one that I like the most, I don't know if I like any of those all that much, but I, I think it may be like Miami just because do this same exact conversation, like hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. You got built in chemistry, um, get the guy, get a guy for Tua to help, like help him make that second year jump from a fantasy point of view. I don't know if that's the greatest thing, but I think it makes sense schematically for them. Yeah, absolutely. A few things there. I want to start with kind of the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, pick at number five. There's been a lot of discussion on whether or not they should invest in the offensive line, grab Panay Sewell, and then take a wide receiver or a weapon in round two or round three, or obviously chase that blue chip talent at wide receiver, take a Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith or Kyle Pitts at five, and then pursue offensive line in round two. My take on it is, is that there, this is a very deep offensive line class. I think you could get Really, really good offensive tackle talent at the top of round two. Alex yeah. Leatherwood of Alabama, Sam Cosme of Texas, Dylan Radins, North Dakota State. I mean, there, there's a Walker Little of Stanford. There's a lot of yeah. tackle talent at the top of round two. And the other thing, too, is that I think you bring up a good point with the Buffalo Bills. You know, there's two ways to approach the offensive line, in my opinion. You could chase the ceiling. I think you saw that with the Raiders a few years ago. Rodney Hudson to a big contract. Gabe Jackson to a contract extension. Donald Penn, Kalecio Semele. Like, they went and chased the yeah. moon. They wanted the highest paid guys. They wanted the biggest dogs and to make it happen. And if it does, it, and that can work. You saw that that 2016 season, them invest in the trenches and really panned out. But if it fails and, and if you don't have the right supporting cast outside of that, if you don't have the quarterback or the weaponry, you end up moving on from Trent Brown pretty quickly. You end up moving on from, yeah. obviously, Gabe Jackson and Rodney Hudson. While the Bills... They didn't chase the ceiling. They chased the floor. We're going to prop up the floor of our offensive line. We're going to bring in John Feliciano, Mitch Morse, you know, Deion Dawkins. Just make sure we get average to above average play and no clear weak links along yep. the offensive line rather than chasing that ceiling. And I think the Bengals would be smart to do that. Just throw the kitchen sink on day two and day three at offensive line resource and then adding Riley Reef in Francie, I do think made that a little bit easier, made it more palpable to more, you know, to potentially pursue um, Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts at number five. The other question I have for you, staying in that top five conversation, a wrench could be thrown in this entire thing if Mac Jones does come off the board at number three overall, because I do mm. think you're going to see Atlanta at four, Cincinnati at five, both considering trade back opportunities for yeah. you know, teams looking to come up for Fields or Lance. Right now, if gun to your head, how do you feel those picks, you know, four and five are going to go? Do you think either of those teams trade out of those spots or do you think they lock in and take the best nine quarterbacks available? Yeah, it's so tough. Uh, you know, I, I've gone back and forth about Atlanta because, uh, you know, obviously there's been reports that they like their leaning quarterback. I believe Peter King said they were leaning quarterback a couple of weeks back. And now mm-hmm. it, it's like, it's, it's this v- very difficult discussion between quarterback a guy like Pitts or maybe even Chase, probably Pitts, and then trade back where they're listening to offers for trade back. Um, at the end of the day, I think the Falcons and the Bengals are both going to sit there and take blue chip players. And I think it's going to be Pitts and Chase right now. I mean, I might change my mind in the next couple of weeks, but that's how I feel right now. And then I think the big trade up spots are going to be number seven for the Lions and number eight for the Panthers. Interesting. I think those are the two spots and I think the dolphins will be on the board for, for a trade option, but obviously, so I've got 
you know, just to tease my mock, I, I've got the Patriots coming up to number seven with the Lions. And then I've got Washington coming up to number eight um, with the Panthers to get Fields and Lance, respectively. So I think those are the sweet spots. I don't think Miami's going to trade with New England. Maybe they trade with Washington. So you could see that being a potential like trade partner. Um, but I could see the Patriots like being one of these teams that just continues to be really, really aggressive this offseason and go up and get a quarterback. They've got, they spent like a hundred something million in, in guaranteed money in free agency, which is completely out of character. And then um, trading up would obviously be a little bit out of character for them, but they don't have Brady anymore. And I think they looked at this last season. They're like, I don't want to do that again. Like that sucked. Let's mm-hmm. definitely not do that. Let's not be a bad team for, for multiple years. Um, so I think that they're going to be aggressive. So I think ultimately uh, I think the Falcons and the Bengals wind up picking where they, where they are. And then I think the the sweet spots to trade six, seven, eight. Fair enough. And I do think that, you know, the New England Patriots, I've talked about it a ton since they spent what over $130 million in guaranteed money <laughs> yeah. this offseason. I think they're in a prime position to trade up. And while I've seen mm-hmm. some mock drafts from NFL.com, ESPN, having them trading up with the Giants close to 11, I just don't see how a team looking to trade up doesn't try to get ahead of the Denver Broncos at nine. Yep. Like if you yep. have, if Justin Fields or Trey Lance falls to the Denver Broncos at nine, it should be, that's, that's illegal. That is criminal to get yeah. that good of a quarterback prospect all the way down at nine. I, I think that would be malpractice on the Patriots part, Washington's part, and even Chicago. Like you should be yeah. actively looking to come up and get ahead of Denver right now. And I like those, I like those opportunities. If it's not four or five, and I obviously I don't think it'll be six either. Miami traded a first round pick to go up for a reason. Right. Right. That's that seven, eight spot, especially with Carolina now having Sam Darnold, even though that's not necessarily an answer at quarterback, more of a multi-million dollar question mark. We'll see <laughs> um, how Sam Darnold pans out in Carolina, but still, I really like those options as trade back spots moving forward yeah. in your rankings here, a discussion that Mike and I have had with Daniel, um, Todd McShay, lovely Bucky Brooks is that we're starting to kind of see a consensus among a lot of analysts as Kadarius Tony, um, the, the wide receiver for Florida being that wide receiver four in this mm-hmm. class ahead of guys like Bateman, um, Elijah Moore, Terrace Marshall, and those things. Nate Tice uh, of the athletic was on the podcast recently. He is lower on Kadarius Tony. Me and mm-hmm. Mike are a little bit lower on Kadarius Tony. And so are you, you have Kadarius Tony at 44 on your rankings, according to your latest draft guide behind guys like Terrace Marshall, Rondale Moore, Rashad Bateman, and Elijah Moore. Why are you maybe lower on what some might consider the consensus on Kadarius Tony right now? Yeah, I think for me, it's more just, you know, I like the other guys a little bit more. They're a little more polished. They're a little bit more uh, versatile and dynamic, or not dynamic, versatile, certainly, and and just technically sound, I'd say. So, like, the thing that turns me off a little bit about Tony, I'm, and I'm not like a Tony hater, I think he's going to be a really exciting player in the NFL. Um but I think it's just the way he freelances. It feels like everything is a little bit chaotic in his game. And, and sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes the chaos is like a really good thing. And he, he emerges from like a stack. It's a two-edged guys. sword kind of. Totally. Yeah. And so, but I think also his landing spot will be a little bit, I think it'll be a little bit landing spot dependent on how he does early on in his career. Like if he's with a quarterback that requires him to be very precise, like precise or a coach that requires them to be precise in his route running and his location and all that stuff, it could be a little bit of growing pains. Um, you know, and, and so I, I, that's going to be an interesting like thing to watch as he goes into the next, next level. Like, you know, this, it kind of reminds me of golden Tate when he started with the Seahawks, like golden Tate had the same problem when he came into the NFL, 
he was just freelancing too much just a little too chaotic in everything. Like he was really exciting. I remember watching his first couple of seasons and it was like, Chaos is guy, exciting. <laughs> yeah. This guy needs to get more touches, but at the same time he was making enough mistakes. I think the, the coaches were like, all right, we just can't trust this guy. And he didn't break out. I think until his third season in the NFL. So I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Tony, but that's like a little bit in the back of my mind. I just like these other guys better. I think Bateman's an elite like route runner, his release, his footwork, his smoothness, like the whole package. I love Elijah Moore. Um, and, and if we're talking about Elijah Moore versus Tony, like I just like Elijah Moore's skill set better than Tony's. And so um, that's kind of why I did that. And then I, I put Rondell Moore and Tony. They're like basically back to back 38 and 44. Um, you know, I think Moore has some questions to answer in the next level. Like, you know, whether the size is going to be a big issue, like he's five foot seven, um, whether the injuries are going to persist. But I think like skill set wise, early production wise, like there's a lot of really intriguing things about more. Um, but yeah, I would just say like, I'm not to, to reiterate, I'm not like low on Tony. I'm just not quite there with like the, the wide receiver four consensus. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I like the gold take comp a lot, actually, when you compare like the kind of the chaos that he brings to the table, freelancing, <laughs> yeah. he brings to the table. I think what I've said in my head and even brought it up to Mike is I think Kadarius Tony's feet efficiency is like the opposite of Rashad Bateman's like that. That's where totally. he is. That's where he is as a route runner. It's like Rashad Bateman, no wasted movements, very efficient with his feet. And then Tony electric, but like, dude, just a lot of, a lot of extra steps, a lot of totally. extra player, a stumbles lot of extra and yeah. yeah. And you, you know, and you see that with, you know, some of the choice routes he ran at Florida and all those types of things. I do think though, get the ball in his hands and you're going to see lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Getting the ball in his hands outside of that scheme targets near the line of scrimmage is where I feel like he needs to add. Cause I think right now you already see better from Rashad Bateman in that area, Terrace mm-hmm. Marshall in that area, Elijah Moore. I'm with you on the Tony side of things. I'm going to get back to landing spots now here. I'm interested in landing spots yeah. for the top for the top three running backs in this class. I think these are largely the consensus top three. You have it right now is Najee Harris. Travis Etienne and then Javante Williams, but it, it's, it's your pick. You're, it's close. You're, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're pulling strings there. It's definitely tough to kind of um, decipher which one's the best, but what are you, what are some landing spots you like team wise? Doesn't necessarily have to be pick wise, but team wise for Harris Etienne and then Javante Williams. So I went a little bit, I, I don't know if I really got too creative here. I think Harris would be great fit in Pittsburgh. And I know Nate, who you mentioned earlier had, uh, Harris, his comp was James Connor. So I think like that would be just like a perfect, succession plan for them you know have Harris he's a three down guy he's really good in the passing game he reminds me in some ways of Le'Veon Bell like the natural smoothness he brings and the length as a receiver is reminiscent of Bell um and I remember come like when Bell was coming to the league people were like he's slow he's a slow like processor that's not necessarily Harris's problem processing but Harris is you know not a speedster he's not like a dynamic explosive home run hitter so I like that one with with Pitt um and then I think Travis Etienne he's a tough one he'd fit in a lot of places but I think Arizona would be a lot of fun because they create so much space um up front with like their with their formations and their spacing and all that stuff create a lot of um lighter boxes for him to run into and I think just based on his explosive his one step acceleration and open field explosiveness would be a really nice fit for Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that maybe means like early, mid second round, by the way, this is like such a hard class to gauge because last year, if you think about it, the fact that like Jonathan Williams was a second or Jonathan Taylor, sorry, was a second rounder is yeah. like crazy because I think I probably would put Jonathan Taylor over 
all three of these guys, you know, if I was like stacking them now. And so like we could see some of these guys go off mid second round and that would be like, I, it, it kind of feels like that would be a fall, but it really shouldn't feel like that's perception. If, if, you, if, you, if you understand what I'm saying, like, don't be surprised if these guys fall. And I don't think that's necessarily indicative that they're bad. I just think that's where the NFL is going. No, absolutely. And probably rightfully so. I mean, you're talking to a PFF guy here, obviously taking running back anywhere, <laughs> right. inside, anywhere inside the top 30, 40 picks. It just feels like just a maluse of resources. I think you can get better talent at more valuable positions with those top 40 picks. But I do think that looking at round two, looking at round three, picking up backs like Javante Williams, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne. I love the Etienne. I mean, Etienne to Arizona. It's just like, I'm fun. ready. I'm ready. But here's the thing. And I don't know if you've got my rant on Cliff Kingsbury before, Danny, but I'm going to give it to you. How many more weapons? How many more weapons are we going to give this sunglasses and sunglasses wearing hot Cliff Kingsbury before we're like, okay, where's the W's? I need some W's here. He's got Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> he was jumping up and down in that video when they took Andy Isabella. Jumping up I know, and down. Oh my God. Christian Kirk, you give him Travis Etienne as well. I know some people want to see them get maybe fire moves to tight end. It's like, all right. You guys give them all these weapons here. When are we going to start seeing points per game? You know, since Cliff Kingsbury has taken over in Arizona, they rank outside the top 20 in EPA per pass play with Kyler Murray, with DeAndre Hopkins. I yeah. don't know, man. I, I, I'm running out of I'm running out of um, patience with Cliff yeah. Kingsbury. I want to see an offensive surge. I just want to see an offensive surge. All right, Danny, you definitely great. get that. <laughs> We're going to finish with this one, man. I wish Mike was on. We talk a ton about the Green Bay Packers in their direction at 29. I don't think they're going to take a fullback or another quarterback who knows we'll see AJ Dillon's comp I don't know but I think they should take <laughs> wide receiver like I think Green yeah. Bay this is a really good spot for them to take wide receiver I think they could get younger at offensive tackle or potentially edge there as well but still wide receiver what's the best fit for the Green Bay Packers at 29 I'll give mine as well oh man so I I would have a couple different answers for this but I think I, I think I keep defaulting to Elijah Moore and I think the reason I like him the most is because he it would have a complementary skill set to like some of the receivers they already have there you know you look at um, Devontae Adams obviously he can play at every position and he's elite route runner he's elite guy in every respect basically but then outside you have sort of one trick ponies I would say like Alan Lazard uh, Marcus Valdez, Valdez Scantling is just like sort of a speed threat and he's not reliable whatsoever. Um, Equinamia is saying, I don't even know if he's going to be on the team this next year. Um, so basically they have like these big, long build up speedster type guys to like stretch the field. But I think getting a guy like Elijah Moore in that offense would give them this new dynamic where they could attack the, the, you know, the first two levels of the field more effectively. He's a good yards after the catch guy they could use him in the Randall Cobb role. Like I saw him line up in the backfield and run like running back like runs. And so um, I think he would just be a lot of fun in that offense. I think he's the lead athlete. He has um, elite hands. And I just think he would be like a, a nice pair, like on off script stuff with, with Aaron Rodgers. he'd be a nice pair there. Um, so I don't know. I just, I love the Elijah Moore fit there. I think that he'd be perfect for kind of what they want to do. Great minds think alike, man. That was my fit as well. I've been saying Elijah Moore at 29 for a while. If the, I, yeah. I've said if a, if they pass on Elijah Moore at 29, they're committing to not drafting receiver in the first round as a bit at this point. Because I just think that <laughs> I think the value yeah. is too good. Like it's a perfect complementary skill set to what Devontae Adams brings to the table. I think it's very different to what you said, like what Lazard and Scantling bring to the table. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the move, man. If you want to maximize this window with Aaron Rodgers coming off an MVP caliber campaign. 
go get him another weapon. Go get him yep. Elijah Moore at 29. I think that would be an awesome move to see, both from a fantasy and NFL perspective yeah. for the Green Bay Packers. Danny, this has been fantastic. Make sure you guys follow Danny at Danny B. Kelly on Twitter. Listen to him on the podcast at The Ringer and read his draft guide. All incredible work, man. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now joining the two foreign drafts podcast is actually a favorite of PFFs, a big favorite of the podcast as well as Kendrick Green of Illinois. You have to be, man, one of our favorite interior offensive linemen in this class. You play with a nastiness and explosiveness that I feel like all fans of the game, all evaluators really do take to. So it's really an honor to have you on the show. Absolutely appreciate you guys for having me, man, for sure. And you're taking a break from getting a tattoo right now. You're getting the tattoo of Ares, God of War. And I feel like that's a good comp for your play style, honestly. You're pretty – you wreak havoc on the football field. I'd love to start there and just really – is that common feedback you get from NFL teams as well? Because I think when you turn on the tape, you see this raw, explosive power, a guy that just really can bully people in a phone booth. Do you feel like teams see that as kind of your key strength in this class? A uh, guy, you know, teams like, you know, the fact that I'm a little bit more athletic than, you know, most interior alignment in this class. Uh, and, you know, I I think, honestly, I'm the nastiest player in this draft as well. I think I'm the most physical player. So, but yeah, teams, all the teams always rave about that as well. So. Have teams given you any feedback on where they want to play you at the next level? I think you obviously have some versatility to play either guard spot or center. Do you have a spot in mind or have teams kind of pinpointed, pin, you know, pinholed you anywhere at, at the next level? Uh, I think um, I think it's gearing a little bit more towards center, but mm -hmm. um, but you know there's also teams who like me you at know, guard more. So you know it's I would say more so center, but uh, but it's still that guard's still sprinkled in there here and there. So you know, turn back the clocks a little bit. And, you know you you know coming out of uh, Peoria High School there in Illinois, I know that's where you're from. You had offers to go to Iowa, Minnesota, a handful of other offers, but decided to stay with the Fighting Illini. What went into that decision, and and how did that all turn out? Um, you know, man, it was uh. Coach Lovey Smith, you know, my guy, you know, kind of uh, came down to Iowa and Illinois, but I just ended up going with, you know, Illinois closer to home and uh, play for my home state. So that was, that was pretty much that. Something else to look at, you know, in your career at Illinois is your PFF grade, you know, improved every single year of career, of your career, playing over 800 snaps in 2018 and 2019, each of those seasons, and then a over 500 snaps in 2020, earning a PFF high 87.8 great there what do you think went into that improvement how much did you learn over the course of your career at Illinois and what are you going to take with you going into the NFL uh absolutely so you know when I got to Illinois I was actually a defensive tackle my first year and um I switched over right before training camp uh my red shirt freshman year which was 2018 so yeah got to Illinois 2017 red shirted 2018 red shirt freshman year I switched over uh to O-line um right before training camp and started every game there and uh you know, I was out there running around, uh, just trying to hit people, not really knowing exactly what I'm doing all the way. But, um, you know, my coaches, you know, we kind of locked in in the off season. you know, learned a lot of ball, watched a lot of film, um, and just try really learned concepts of offenses and also what defenses are trying to do as well. So, um, and I, I really learned how to watch film, and that's something I feel like I can take to the next level with me as well. Do you feel like that's like a key area of opportunity for you to improve in the NFL, continue to improve as a technician, as a student of the game? Is that where you see your game getting a lot better in the league? Absolutely. I mean, you, you always got something to work on unless you're grading out at 100% every week, right? So mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of how I look at it. But uh, absolutely, you know, I still I'm not I'm not where I want to be, um, all, like technique wise yet. You know, I feel like you know in the league, hopefully I, I get me a coach that can develop me and. Uh, you know, be ready to play ball. So, absolutely. 
I'm glad you brought up Phil, man, because I'm interested to know, you know, in a given game week when you're preparing for a certain opponent, what are you exactly looking for on film, whether you're looking at a specific defensive tackle or defensive lineman or the defense overall? What are some of the tendencies, some of the keys that you look for when you're watching film in a given game week? Yeah, you know, you're looking for tendencies, um, you know, when does this team pressure down in distance? Uh, what formations do they like to pressure out of personnel? What personnel are they in? You know, things like that. But then also you kind of look at how, you know, certain D linemen play blocks, uh, you know, for a down block versus a, a reach block or or just an ISO block, you know what I mean, and things like that. And uh, linebackers flow, how, to, how do they play blocks? And, you know, so there's always a handful of things to pick up, absolutely. And, and how has that film kind of preparation, that film study changed in the offseason? Have you had a lot of opportunity to watch maybe more film on yourself and critique yourself or even turn on game – you know, games for guys in the NFL, guys that maybe you want to pattern your game after. Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. Um, I try to, you know, I've, in the off season, you know, you kind of want to work more on yourself because you're not preparing to play anybody. So, uh, absolutely, you're watching film on yourself, what you can do better, um, and things to keep in mind when you go into training camp and when you're going into spring ball, you know, what you can really uh, work on in individual drills with your coaches. And then, obviously, you know, you want to watch the people in the league, best people who do it right, best people in the world. So absolutely, and just try and take things from their game. Are, are there specific, you know, offensive linemen in the NFL that you watch a lot of that you want to kind of pattern your game after? Um, I mean, you got Ryan, uh, Ryan, Ryan, yeah, Ryan Jensen. He finishes guys, you know, um, re plays really nasty with a mean streak. I try to, I try to do that, you know. Uh, guys like Jason Kelsey, an animal in space, really quick, athletic guy. Uh, you know, Quinn Nelson, another interior lineman, obviously been all process he's been in the league destroys people you know those are just some guys that I try to you know really uh really take after yeah I'm glad you speak to the nastiest man because I do think that that finishing is what shows up on tape I'm interested to know how much does that nastiness show up in trash talk because I do think that offensive line <laughs> versus defensive line like you're seeing the same guys over and over so there's almost this mental side of it this opportunity to kind of get into their heads to do some trash talk to kind of play that part of the game are you a big trash talker on the football field Absolutely. So, you know, when in between plays, man, you kind of, you got to get an edge. Uh, I, I, I talk a lot of trash on the field, you know, that's probably more than I should, to be honest, but um, I, that's definitely a component to my game. Dude, I feel like it's a big edge. I think like some people look down on people that trash talk. I would do it all day as well, man. I think you're in the right position to do so. Who are some guys that come to mind, guys you've gone against in your career that, you know, gave you fits, gave you really good competition or even talk trash with you? Um, the guys at Purdue, they always talk. Uh, Lorenzo Neal, who's just coming out this year, good dude. But, uh, you know, we were talking trash on the field. Derek Barnes as well, another guy from Purdue. So, I'll say those two guys, definitely. Awesome, man. Well, I, we can finish with this one. I really appreciate you setting aside the time. I'm looking forward to getting back to that tattoo, God of Aries, or God of War, Aries, God yeah, of War. Yeah. Um, last one I have for you here, and I like to ask all the prospects this, is kind of what is your motivation to continue to play this game at such a high level, to make the sacrifices you need to make, obviously, to play in the NFL? What is your motivation or your why to continue to play in, uh, this game? Man, I don't honestly uh, – just recently had a baby girl, you know, but – um she's four months old so that's that's one thing but I've always been able you know I've kind of had that uh kind of always had it in my heart this is what I wanted to do since I was since I started playing football when I was seven years old and I don't see myself doing uh doing anything else for a long time you know so I just man you always got I always got that dog and you know that intrinsic motivation man so I'll say that's what it is for me that's awesome to hear man congratulations on the daughter I wish you the best of luck moving forward thank you man appreciate you guys Kendrick man Taking a break from getting a tattoo of the God of War on his arm to jump in his car and interview with me, pretty fantastic. He's also like 
you could tell he's just a very easygoing guy on that interview. He's like very, very um, open up front with what he's got. He's like, I'm the nastiest player in, the, you know, in, in college football. I talk a lot of trash. This is, this is my MO. This is who I am. He wears it literally on his sleeve. The God of War is on his sleeve. So um, should have was... asked him his favorite bar at in Champagne. He's from Peoria. Yeah, Peoria stinks, but Champagne word, Illinois. Wow, is. you should have told him that. I'll tell him you said that. Peoria stinks. Peoria does. Peoria is actually kind of a shit town. We'll say it right now. Wow. As far as central Illinois towns go. Shots fired. As far as way. We're going to Champagne for week zero. Champagne, baby. Champagne. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of Two for One Drafts. Uh, Until next time, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, leave a question for the mailbag. You leave a five-star review with a question. We're going to answer it on a future mailbag as we go. Until next time, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer David Safaro, Mike Renner, Two for One Drafts. (laughs) 